Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. He has brought his best Chip Patterson impersonation with him today on this Monday. That's Tom Fernelli. I guys, I really enjoyed listening back to our. Uh, if you've been looking at the Hurry Up Hot Seat countdown, you you know what's been going on, uh, and you know it's just going to continue to roll. I thought that I thought that y'all did a great job uh, holding my feet to the fire for my beloved USC Trojans. That story's on CBSSports.com, where I only dug in deeper, more facts than feelings than what I had on the podcast. But you know, we we're, we're here in the spring gleaning series is going is in its conclusion this week. We've got our coach rankings coming up next week. Before we get into the SEC West, gentlemen, uh, and we also have a, a little bit of a headline from the recruiting trail. Uh, how are we doing? I gave myself a haircut on Sunday. Where mm. Lynn helped me. Lynn helped, but yeah. You know, that's funny because I did a, I had an HQ hit this morning and HQ has tweeted out the video of it and my hair is in no position for me to retweet that video. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I might need a little, might need a little few, few tips on, on how to go about that because – uh, I look a little scraggly on the old HQ this morning. Well, we we stuck to the basics. We essentially just kind of shaved down the sides and the back and didn't get too complicated. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a very it's I usually have like an undercut kind of thing anyway, but it's more of a fading in than a directly kind of shaved. But now it's very much, you know. <laughs> It's it's back to basics, but I don't care. Who cares? So I'm gonna wear a hat when I leave the house anyway. But it actually it doesn't it didn't turn out too bad, all things considered. We gotta let it go, Barton. I don't I don't I don't think it's too late in the game to cut now. Well, I know, but it, for a while I was getting into this. I mean, it was just getting a little more luxurious and just getting a little more leg room, and then all of a sudden now we're at this point where it's yeah. I mean, I could I could like get you know give me six more months and maybe I'm like Chase Winovich territory or something. But for now I'm just sort of in this no man's land where I kind of look like a, I don't know. I don't know what I look like. It's just, it's kind of looking, it's kind of bad right now, but I'll I'll work through it, I guess, find some hair product to, to, you know, to smooth out the rough edges. And, um, I don't know, man, we all have our struggles right now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, There's go ahead. I was just, there's that awkward period when you're growing your hair out, where it's too long to do anything you'd normally do with it, but it's not long enough to just not try to do something with it. Right. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I would be in trouble if we were, uh, like I, I, we, I would be in trouble if we had to go and like be on location. You know, if this was one of those, you know, like Barton uh, on the. Like when you were uh, on the NFL draft desk, or if it was one of those days where you're going to show up somewhere and you're just going to kind of be there doing a whole bunch of CBS Sports HQ hits, I'd be in trouble. I would look like a mess by the end of like two hours of being out of the house. But I think that right now I'm, I'm still holding on because I can at least prepare myself for like 10 minutes at a time. I mean, if we go back on CBS Sports HQ for a full hour, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look disheveled by the end of the hour. I'm so animated, I'll shake everything up. Yeah, you can always just jump in the shower right before you go. Yep. You know, and then you, you, then you kind of look clean regardless. Everything just sort of gets matted down a little bit. So I'll find some tricks. I'll get through this. You guys, don't, don't worry about me. Well, between, between my recently, my, my new haircut and not shaving my beard, I would look like I'd be hanging out at a subway in Raleigh. Yeah. (laughs) Again, biggest judgment for me is that with all of the downtown Raleigh restaurants, including many of them that are offering their fine cuisine with curbside pickup and takeout, they went to a subway. subway. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Come on. Uh, I mentioned there's a quick headline from the recruiting trail. Five-star running back out of Houston, Zachary Evans, uh, has finally put an end to his recruitment, it appears. Uh, 24-7 Sports reporting that Evans has signed a financial aid agreement with TCU, did so on Sunday night, but had to attend an online class on Monday morning before it became official as TCU started its first summer session, Uh, all of it, of course, being online with no students on campus. He's a five-star prospect, yeah, this is for TCU and its normal recruiting profile, a massive, uh, a massive boost. Evans, if you'll remember, uh, initially signed with Georgia during the early signing period, you know, back in the old world in December 2019, uh, but was released from his national letter of intent, never made it to Georgia's campus, granted a full release with no restrictions. Barton, I'm going to let you sort of guide us on this one for for Zachary Evans to show up at TCU, do you do you expect him to be able to have an impact on TCU in 2020? And sort of what was your reaction to the news when it broke? I uh, wasn't super surprised. Not that I had really I hadn't really been paying close attention. I hadn't been following it behind the scenes. But it makes sense that he just sort of goes to a neutral third party or something here, like a neutral, like this. At TCU is never really a front runner. It wasn't one of these SEC schools he had dabbled with. Uh, it wasn't Texas. It wasn't Texas A&M, and 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 a lot of those schools had just sort of moved on at one, at some point in the process, just because they they didn't have time to wait around. They didn't want to deal with the shenanigans anymore. Uh, but it kind of makes sense that he stays in state. He goes to TCU. Um, he's actually been working out in Nashville, I think, uh, for a lot of the spring. Um, and it also makes sense that there's no announcements because who the hell cares if there's an announcement? There's been so many back and forth with this kid that he just, you know, he's just in, he's in taking classes, so he's there. He's at TCU. Um, can he play next year? Yeah, he, he's good enough. He's he's the most talented running back in this class. He's one of the most talented running backs you'll see. Uh, the, the the knock on is is just sort of like how much does he really care about football? And uh, if 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 he does. Focus in. Gary Patterson and the boys get him um, motivated and focused and keep him from being distracted, then he's got a chance to be really, really special. But we'll we'll see if all that happens. I I have two questions, one for Barton and one for you, Chip. First, I'll start with you, Barton. (laughs) Is this another reject? (laughs) Uh, No. No, I would never say that. I would never say that about any young man. All right. And for you, Chip. Yeah, I know where this is, is going. Is TCU still Kansas State? No, I was going to say, this is a big-time adjustment from the course which TCU was headed on to just be Kansas State South, you know? 
I, I think that this is a big-time change of direction. And Kansas State would never take Zach Evans. Kansas State, <laughs> yeah, no no chance. Just just not a good fit. If if Zach Evans comes in here and ends up being one of the more dynamic offensive players in the, the whole Big 12, and whoo boy, I'll tell you what. I mean that's I mean Max Duggan and Zach Evans, that's a that's a difficult that's a difficult pre snap head full of thoughts for a linebacker to try to figure out. I'm I'm a big I'm I'm a big fan of this if I'm a TCU fan who was nervous that we were just slowly becoming uh Gary Patterson's alma mater, Kansas State. So so does this officially close the book on the twenty twenty class rankings? I think so. In any like meaningful way, yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, there might be some some lingerers out there, but no one that's going to move the needle. And there aren't there aren't any more top twenty two hundred forty seven players still undecided. I don't think so. I hope I don't hang up and and forget somebody. But I'm, I think they're for the most part everybody's in the fold at this point. All right, all right. Why are you trying to lock in the Illini at a certain? No, spot? no. I just I mean, it's like because I completely I was like you know I obviously Barton this is his focus, but even for me, I didn't, you know, I don't focus on recruiting all the time. And the news when Zachary Evans had committed on Monday morning, when I heard it, I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> that's like a top right. 20 player. That's still available. Still on the board. That, I think that was everybody's thought on that. He, he just sort of, he just sort of faded into the, into the background. Yeah. And, uh, and to your point with the addition of Zachary Evans, TCU locked in with the number 23 class in the 24-7 sports composite, uh, third in the Big Ten, and an improvement from where they were a year ago at number 31. Congrats to Gary Patterson uh, and that staff. All right, y'all. Frogs back. Yeah, Frogs Frogs back 2020, newest headline to take a look at. You got to record the Big 12 show. We'll we'll come back to it in win totals uh, at the end of the summer, you know? Be, I would say Zachary Evans is worth uh, 0.25 wins off the co- off, off the top of my head. What do you think about that? Sounds fair. <laughs> I think he's worth at least eight. <laughs> All right, let's let's go ahead and get into uh, the SEC West. We begin with the reigning national champion LSU Tigers. Uh, in case you missed it, absolute uh, overhaul from a personnel standpoint in uh, Bill Connolly's returning production rankings. LSU checks in at number 127. We've also got staff changes that are very significant as Dave Aranda goes on to become the head coach at Baylor. LSU has Bo Pelini back in Baton Rouge as defensive coordinator. And as Joe Brady is off to the Carolina Panthers to be an offensive coordinator, uh, Scott Linehan is going to be in as the new pass game coordinator. Remember, Steve Insminger is still uh, the offensive coordinator there. Hey, we're also losing, yes, Joe Burrow among those 14 NFL draft picks. Miles Brennan right now is the QB1, the way that we see it. Now, you know, Jamar Chase, one of the best wide receivers in all of football last year. I think a big offensive question here is how much can you put – uh, on his shoulders in terms of being a real difference maker when the so you still uh, you still do have the other talented wide receivers in the room but you lose Justin Jefferson you lose Joe Burrow uh, the offensive line turns over just a little bit he's the biggest name and the biggest face offensively but whether that's going to translate to production yet to be seen uh, defensively we mentioned the offseason addition of Jabril Cox from North Dakota State 
as uh, that unit shifts. It was a little bit 3-4-ish under Dave Aranda, but it seems like we're going more to a traditional 4-3. At least that has been something that Coach O has been mentioning a lot. And then, uh, oh yeah, Derek Stingley Jr., still with two years uh, left in college football. So the operating question here is how dramatic do we expect the drop-off to be for LSU in uh, against a schedule that has other college football playoff hopefuls uh, as they went from 10 wins to 15 you know what's going to happen now that they've got to do a little bit of reloading in Baton Rouge well let's start with the roster i think the roster is is just about as talented as it was last year uh i'm going to allow for a little bit of a drop off considering LSU just had the best team in college football history, uh, but that the, the talent won't be an issue, uh, and that's on either side of the football. I think they've got they've got players, they've got dudes, they've recruited really well, they develop really well. Tommy Moffin, their their strength and conditioning program is is pretty lights out. So I, I don't have any question marks about personnel uh, at any position, with one exception. That exception is quarterback. And Miles Brennan might be legit. Miles Brennan might be big time. And if if they're not really heavily pursuing any grad transfer quarterbacks, then hey, maybe he maybe they know something that that we don't. And uh, he was a, a highly recruited, highly touted player out of high school. Um, he was. I don't. He wasn't. I, I think Ed Ogeron had other guys he wanted more than him when he took over the job, and they had to sort of smooth that over. And then he maybe he warmed up to him. But either way, uh, Miles Brennan is, is who you got. And so we'll, we'll see. He's, he's going to have a ton of weapons. He's going to have the best receiver in college football last year, back again this year. Uh, he's going to have the best tight ends in the history of our rankings arriving in Eric Gilbert. Like, there's just all kinds of things to like about it. Um, so from the personnel standpoint, quarterback, qu- quarterback sort of aside, just sort of like setting him over to the side, Everything looks great. But from an identity standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, new scheme on defense, not a new scheme on offense, but Joe Brady, who really, I mean, that was dramatic what he added to that offensive system. He's gone. um, And like all these off field analysts are all gone. Like your defensive coordinator is gone switching systems all these guys that were off the field that were helping them uh are gone that were, were highly regarded like i just think there's a lot of variables here that make this a really interesting and tricky year to navigate um but the variable that i'm not worried about is talent yeah i mean it's if you look at lsu they're too talented to have everything completely bottom out. So it's not like we're going to see a team drop, you know, go from, you know, national title 15 and 0 to, you know, 7 and 5 or 8 and 4. But I mean, it 8 and 4 maybe I is a actual possibility, but it just it's it's hard to imagine or think that with everything they've lost and with all the changes that they've made not just on the field but on the sidelines with having to completely turn over your staff, completely turning over most of your roster bringing guys in and you have to play in the SEC West, it's hard to sit here and think that even as good as LSU was last year, that having to compete against Alabama, Auburn, a Texas A&M team that might be better this year, it's it's difficult to see the 
the most likely outcome being them winning the division again, them playing for an SEC title, them being a playoff berth. Like this might be a top ten team again in the in the country, but I don't know if the playoff is a very realistic hope for them just based on all the changes. That said, if like you know there are questions about Miles Brennan and maybe he turns out you know he takes over the quarterback and he has a great season and hey things just keep rumbling along the way that they were last year. Or maybe even somebody like JT Daniels suddenly transfers in and now everything, you know, that that also increases the ceiling again there. It's just this is it's really, really difficult to know what LSU is going to be in 2020 just because there are so many questions that need to be answered. So, yeah, it's it's a team with a high floor, but you don't know what the ceiling is. I think that we're going to see LSU back in the SEC championship game in the next three years. I think that the changes that have been made to the identity of the program, the expectations, just sort of uh, the way that Coach O has has really thrown himself at LSU. I mean, we have mentioned several times on this podcast, and we are going to continue to preview. Our coach rankings are coming out next week. And my ranking of Ed Ogeron has greatly changed, not simply by the presence of a national championship and not by just being the head coach of uh, that one 2019 Tigers team, but just the way that it, after the loss to Troy two years ago, you know, things just kind of flipped. A switch flipped last year. Uh, you know, not last year, I guess 2018. It's a 10 win team with four top 10 victories. I mean, it was obvious when they went up against Alabama that final score is 29 to nothing. In 2018, it was clear that LSU needed another gear, especially offensively, but they addressed it. And so I look at, you know, the wins against Georgia, the win against Alabama, the way that this team has competed against Auburn, even when they haven't had the most explosive offense. I just, I, I understand there will be a, an immediate step back, but I do think that there has been the kind of uh, extra, you know, margin shaving change that has been made throughout that program such that it, it's not like LSU is never going to be back in the SEC championship game as the SEC West champion though I'm not going to pick it for 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's um I I anticipate maybe some some variance in the Ed Ogeron tenure. Um I think he's a fascinating coach to analyze if you're talking about where does he stack up with all the coaches nationally. But like hey, even if this year is a is a disappointing season by LSU standards. Uh, you know, I think you credit Ogeron for being able to, or being willing to. All right, if it's if if we don't get it right, it ain't right. It's not like it's not right for you guys, but it's okay for me. Like I'm gonna try to fix it too. Like he's he has tried to do that aggressively every step of the way. And so, um, look, they made some aggressive hires this time. Like Bo Pelini's a pretty aggressive hire uh, as, as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, like they're he's gonna shoot for the moon and. That that might might mean some some disappointing years every once in a while, but I think you're also going to always have a chance at uh, a pretty high ceiling season. The Alabama Crimson Tide, eleven and two a year ago, six and two in conference play, taking losses to LSU as we mentioned, and then also in the Iron Bowl. You've got Mac Jones coming back after going three and one, filling in for Tua. But you know whether or not he's going to be for sure QB one. 
is one of the questions we wish we could have had answered in spring practice because five-star dual-threat quarterback Bryce Young was enrolled early. That was, is, you know, I guess he's not on campus, but he's in class and he is a part of whatever Alabama te- team activities, even if they're not happening in Tuscaloosa, be they happening on Zoom or whatever. We also saw an interesting storyline of players not joining some of their teammates in the NFL draft. Wide receiver Devonta Smith, running back Najee Harris, offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood, and linebacker Dylan Moses, whose absence after suffering an injury heading into 2019 certainly was notable. These are, in in my eyes, four players that all have All-American capabilities for the 2020 season. Staff turnover, we lose Scott Cochran. But in an interesting twist, uh, Nick Saban in all interviews since the the hire of a new strength and conditioning team from Indiana really seems to like the new modernized approach. Like, has, are, has the Saban bot upgraded his operating system as it pertains to off-season conditioning and the way that uh, these players prepare their bodies for the season? I think that that is... That is something we are not going to see until it plays out on the field, but definitely something to take note of. Other than that, not a lot of turnover, too, from an Alabama staff that normally does. Freddie Roach is our uh, our new defensive line coach. So yeah, you can, you can rock on the angry Alabama storyline after missing the college football playoff for the first time since the college football playoff was started. You can go um, for the, the quarterbacks with the position on this one, or, or maybe if this is the year one of another final phase or another shift in the Nick Saban era, you know, what's, what's really intriguing you about looking at Alabama for the season ahead? I, th- I think quarterback, obviously, because I, I think that we, we've talked before. I think Mac Jones is going just based on everything that's happened this offseason. I have a hard time thinking Bryce Young is going to come in and have the starting job right away. But I think Mac Jones will have it. And we will depend on how Alabama performs or Mac Jones is performing. We're going to be sitting there every week. You know, there's going to be like the Bryce Young thermometer, like, you know, like what are the odds that he's going to take over the job? Are we going to start seeing getting more snaps? You know, like maybe in the opening game against USC, he's got like a series or two they've got ready for him. But then as the weeks go on, is he becoming more and more involved? Are all sides pointed to him taking over? I, I, I'm on the record as saying I think Mac Jones is good enough to lead Alabama to an SEC title and a playoff berth and possibly a national title. I don't know if, if he has the same ceiling as Bryce Young, as seeing, considering that Young is one of the highest-rated recruits in Alabama's history. But I think Mac Jones is good enough, and I feel like he should be given a shot and not you know have a quick hook if things go poorly. And then on the other side of the ball, I look at this team, and it's like you know they, they lose a lot on defense to the draft like they do every year. But I feel like if you remember in 2018, like the secondary was the main weakness of that defense, and it was still like compared to – your average college football defense, it was still a very, very good secondary. But compared to Alabama standards, it had taken a step off. And if we look at everything that they lose in the secondary from last year's team, from production-wise and talent-wise, I'm interested to seeing how that performs because there's still a lot of talent that's going to be in that secondary in 2020. It's just it's a lot of unproven talent, and it's unproven talent that has kind of lost entire offseason of being able to get acquainted and getting in because, you know, the, the coverages that Nick Saban runs, his defenses, they are not very simple. They are a complicated thing. You've got to know a lot as a defensive back in particular. So I feel like I worry losing those reps in spring and then possibly losing even more of those reps this summer 
if that's going to have an impact on that secondary going into the season, which could prove to be, you know, like a, not an Achilles heel, but could be the one thing that kind of, you know, costs them a game, which could in its, in a com- division as competitive as the SEC West and a conference as competitive as the SEC could end up costing them another playoff berth. So imagine if Alabama suddenly goes from never missing a playoff to missing two in a row. And I feel like if they do miss two in a row, the two th- areas we will look at are quarterback and the secondary. Has Alabama, has Nick Saban lost a step? That's a question. That's not, that's not a um, rhetorical. I'm just curious. Do you guys think Nick Saban has lost a step? No. No. Okay. I, I don't either. And, and I guess this is the year maybe where we find out if he has, because if they do miss a playoff again, is, is that losing a step for Nick Saban? But my assumption is he hasn't lost a step. And if, if I assume that, and I, if I look at this roster, I, I think this is a pretty good, I think this is an improved roster from last year. I, I, I think this is a better roster than last year. And they had, and, and I say that because I think, A, Dylan Moses will be back. And that was a huge loss last season. Yes, they lose some, some key players in the secondary. Uh, they lose some, some edge pass rushers. Like, obviously, they lose those receivers. But they've got how – many, how many receivers do you need? Like, you've got, you already had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Like, that's, that's enough. Like, you can survive with those two. Um, you've got all your running backs back. You've got Mac Jones back. You've got Bryce Young – will be better than Mac Jones at some point in his career. And whether that's this year or not, like you've got that option if Mac Jones isn't cutting it. Uh, so there's, and then, and then I think when you look at the front seven, which has been where Alabama has s- slipped up a little bit, that that's, that's a unit that will be improved a, because they've got really good freshmen coming in, but B because they returned their, their, they're better front seven players, including Dylan Moses. Um, like you could say Terrell Lewis, but that guy was never healthy. Um, I just, I'm just from a personnel standpoint, like this is a team that's capable of, of being the next Alabama team. I'm not saying like it's capable of be, I'm not by the next Alabama team. I mean, just sort of another in the long line of national title worthy and capable teams. So, you know, for me, it's like, what's, what, what are their, I mean, last year we didn't really see LSU coming. Um, and it would take a, it would take a rise up like that, maybe from a Georgia for me to not be confident in, in Alabama getting out of the SEC. I just think that this is still, this is still who everyone's shooting for from a consistency standpoint. And I think we see some of that consistency circle back. I agree. I would have loved to see Bryce Young in the spring. I would have loved to see some of these freshmen get on campus and see see how good they would have been uh how quickly because i think there's that kind of a potential for some like instant impact freshmen like we've seen in the past but without that that certainty then you know we're still kind of guessing on that front but this is uh, to me this is a really good team i i'm not only uh answering that nick saban has not lost a step but i'm i am sort of leaning into the uh, this all of this has only motivated him to c- continue and become more aggressive. Like I, I think that there are going to be opportunities for young players to have a real big impact. But my, I wanted to kick this back to you, Barton, because 
the area that I look at Alabama's roster, and I think that there has been, or at least in 2020, there seemed to be a little bit of a, a drop off defensively. To to not have Dylan Moses in there, that, you know, that can impact everything, especially because he was set to be as a man. Here I go down Cliche Avenue, the the quarterback of the defense, the guy who gets everyone lined up, the diagnose what the offense is doing and make all the on field adjustments that need to happen. That that's. That is something that Dylan Moses was set to be for that team. And that is something that having him back on the field is going to be greater just because he is a a great instinctual player with the understanding for the game. I feel like not since Quinnen Williams, and I guess before him, you had like Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Where are the dominant defensive linemen for this Alabama team? Because last year, um, so let's see, Christian Barmore played a little bit as a freshman uh, DJ Dale played a little bit as a freshman. Who are going to be the young players? And you mentioned that there might even be some some freshmen, you know, not necessarily rising sophomores, who might be able to have an impact there. Like, what does that look like for Alabama? Who are going to be the players that can bring back some of that dominant defensive line play? Because if I was to circle one thing that I think could very quickly change things defensively, it would be reestablishing that edge up front. Agreed, and that's why I think generally speaking, that they've they've reloaded there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Christian Barmore and DJ Dale would be who you'd look to, to me, as well, in terms of can they take the next step. Both those guys flash as freshmen, uh, true freshman for Dale, redshirt for Barmore. Uh, but Justin Aboigby is is a, a guy in the pipeline, a defensive end that, that they really like. I think that there's a, a, a kid in Timothy Smith that's a true freshman coming in. And again, he wouldn't have been on campus in the spring. He would have come in the summer. But he, to me, on film is is an animal. Like, I think he's got a chance to be really special. But in addition to those guys, I think that they're – like, I don't know whether they're better right now at outside linebacker than they were last year. But I think – so I think they'll be better in two years – than they were last year, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's overstating what what's can happen this year. Um, in ter- talking about improvement at outside linebacker, because I think Will Anderson is a is a monster. Uh, Drew Sanders is a monster. Um, Quindarius Robinson has a chance to be really good in a couple of years. So can those? But like, does Will Anderson come in and make an impact as a true freshman this year? If he does, that's huge. If Timothy Smith is really good right away, that's huge. Uh, just add some depth. But I think the biggest point to me is, is the one you started off with was the idea that Dil- like Dylan Moses last year, we talked about when he went down, but then you forget about it and no one really talks about it as a, as a lingering issue with Alabama because it's just you're dealing with the, the team that's on the field. And Dylan Moses wasn't on the field for that Alabama team the whole season, so you just sort of forget about him as a factor. And he... His injury, I think, still is probably the most consequential injury of the season in 2019 because what that guy could have done for that defense and in, in, in giving it the confidence and giving it the leadership is, is you can't really measure that. And so I think that with him back this year, I think the defense has a chance to be a lot better. Um, maybe it's still not the number one defense in the country that sort of we've seen from Alabama from time to time, but it feels like it can be more dominating than we saw. Dylan Moses was the most consequential injury of the college football season in 2019 is an awesome take. 
Not not, was a, not Alabama because then you're overlooking Tua, right? You're yeah. you're saying it is more consequential than Tua, right? I'm yeah. saying yeah, exactly. Like at at the time of the injury, I even said like this is the this is the one guy, this is the most important player on the Alabama roster outside of Tua, and that you could probably make a case that he was more consequential than Tua. Because Mac Jones could could keep the boat of the, the ship afloat, um, but starting two true freshmen because because Josh McMillan also got hurt last year. He was a fifth year senior. He'll be a sixth year senior this year, I think. Um, and if, if when you got two true freshmen, one of which was playing cornerback his senior year in high school, one of their starters at, at, at freshman inside linebackers was a high school cornerback. Like that's a hard transition to make. <laughs> How big were their linebackers? Jeez. <laughs> one of them went to Clemson. The other one went to, but like, I think like it was one of those deals where it's just, that's yeah. where they, that's where they needed them. Chip, going back, going back to Saban though, since, since everything in the world of sports right now has to be compared to the last dance, would you say that missing the college football playoff last year for Nick Saban is like losing to the magic was to Michael Jordan? Yes. I go. no, and you know what? How about this? I think that the Auburn loss drove him crazy. I think, I think every loss drives him crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair, fair, fair. But that Iron Bowl should not have been won. Oh, no, excuse me. You know what? That's that's a little bit farther. I just think that Auburn loss is going to drive him crazy. And speaking of coming up on the other side, we get into those Auburn Tigers next. Yo, it's two-time Super Bowl champion Bryant McFadden also known as BMAC. Mike check, one, two, one, two. And that's Patrick Peterson, a fellow cornerback, my cousin, and now my co-host on the new podcast, All Things Covered, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. This season, Pat will go from the football field on Sundays to the studio on Mondays to bring you the perspective of an active player at the top of his game. And the name says it all. Sure, we'll catch up with Pat P on how he and the Cardinals are faring. But we'll also talk about other sports, our personal interests, and social issues. Then we'll cover even more with the prominent guests each week. With 17 years of NFL cornerback experience between the two of us, we think you'll enjoy our coverage skills. So download and subscribe now to get weekly episodes released first thing Tuesday morning. All Things Covered is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. The Auburn Tigers, 9-4 and four overall, 5-3 and three in conference play. They, they won the Iron Bowl. Uh, you know, they, they started the year with a, with a win against Oregon. The legend of, of Bo Nix was sort of unleashed they played well against LSU, but lost there. But again, this is still a, a four-loss Auburn Tigers team. 
Year two of Bo Nix, but he has a new offensive coordinator as former Arkansas coach Chad Morris has shown up to uh, get his colored golf ball and his little putter for uh, the offense. They inked Kevin Steele to a new contract as, as defensive coordinator, but this defense takes a hit. You know, No Derek Brown, no Marlon Davidson, um, starters lost. You return Big Cat Bryant, but I think that that side of the football, which really led a lot of the success of the last two seasons – there's going to have to be some young players that are going to step up and be ready. Um, we're also on the offensive line, replacing some starters, as well as looking for uh, a running back field to to fill out with Booby Whitlow has left. You know, I, I look at all of the departures for Auburn, and I suggest that there might be a step back, even knowing that Bo Nix might take some steps forward. But I am not overwhelmed by the, the Gus Malzahn-Chad Morris pairing. We'll see. About that, I I tend to look at this Auburn team as expecting more of the same on offense and a step back defensively. And when you're dealing with this kind of division and this kind of schedule, I mean, doesn't doesn't that look a lot like a seven and five or eight and four type season? Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you all to make a case for it not to be a the what what you know what year is this? Is this a what are we? Is it the odd or the even years? What's the years where Gus Malzahn has his down year? It's this like, year. This is the even is the years. Year. Yeah, 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 for sure. This is the year when, when Gus Malzahn gets back on the hot seat, and then next year Bo Nix will be a junior, and they will contend for an SEC title. Like, and I, it actually kind of works for the, in terms of the roster too, if you if you look at it that way, because I think they got a pretty nice injection of young talent on the defensive line, but how many of those guys are going to be ready right out the box and? Uh, they you mentioned all those guys they lost up front this year. I don't know. Just it feels like a lot of things are pointing towards just you know just an okay Auburn team this year. And I and I'm literally I'm genuinely curious whether I'm missing something that would lead me to believe that this is not going to be that kind of a step back season. I I think the schedule has to play something of a role in. Optimism. If you look, I mean, they start with Alcorn State, then they've got North Carolina, which is, you know, a team that I think we all consider, you know, national champion. What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that game's also at Auburn, so I don't really give North Carolina much of a chance to win that game. Then they have Ole Miss on the road, but that's an Ole Miss we'll talk about in a little bit. Southern Miss, we talked about Kentucky, where we, we, you know, we don't think Kentucky's going to be bad, but we don't know how good it's going to be. So right off the bat, I feel like there's a very good shot that Auburn's starting 5-0. and But then you've got the road trip to Georgia, followed by a home game against Texas A&M, a road trip to Mississippi State, who we'll get to in, in a little bit, which could be a little you know tricky just you know being on the road there. Arkansas at home should be a win. UMass at home should be a win. And then you finish the season with LSU at home and then at Alabama back-to-back. So when I look at this, I see five wins in their first five games is a very real possibility. But even if they lose to Kentucky, they're four and one. They should still beat Arkansas. They still should beat, you know, UMass. So there's six wins. And then depending on how they do against Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, that's, you know, how good they're going to be. So I, I think eight and four is a very reasonable expectation for this team, which really isn't all that far off of what they were last year. Yeah, I, uh, I, 
we're obviously in an even year because the odd number years are when that game is the Iron Bowls played at Auburn. And look, Gus Malzahn has won three out of four Iron Bowls that were played um, at Auburn. This this just doesn't happen to be one of them. Without the uh, without the magic of Jordan Hare Stadium, it's not going to be there. And look, if it's eight and four, then you are just right back to a standard issue even numbered year 2014 Gus Malzahn coming off the BCS national championship game runner up eight and five hot seat time 2016 eight and five of course he doubled back with the 10 win season in 2017 eight and five in 2018 yeah we are right on schedule to uh to just have a nice little eight win season that'll just ratchet up the uh the hot seat talk, and I mean, we've heard Gus Malzahn talk. That's the we've entered. A, we were talking about you know Nick Saban. We've entered another era with Gus Malzahn where he's used to pressure and hot seat talk, and he's used to being the subject of all those preseason columns. So he he's not going to be phased by this. But I do think that there will be the predictable step back. I don't think Barton, you're wrong for feeling like you might be overlooking something. I don't think that this is just us playing into the dance of the even odd year thing with Auburn. I, I find little to be really, really excited about. I think they're good. I think they're really talented. I think that there's going to be, you know, a lot of games where there's not going to be a game where they're not going to be competitive, but it's just really, really hard for me to line up behind this Auburn team and be like, Hey, you know what? They're winning 10 games because I just don't see it. I wonder if because there's there's no spring practice, you know, this was so Chad Morris comes and, oh, hey, Gus is finally going to hand the keys over the offense once again. Chad Morris comes and no spring practice and Gus comes and knocks on Chad's door and says, hey, hey, Chad, I know I know I told you you could drive this this truck, but you mind if I get those keys back? <laughs> this is uh, this let's uh no spring practice. Why don't I just take over for one more year and then you can have it next year? He made a big scene of handing the keys to Chad Morris in front of the rest of the staff, but like also kept his key and went to go steal it out of the garage and drive it to his house. <laughs> Chad right. shows up to the garage and the offense car is gone. Exactly. Uh, Texas A&M, 8-5 and five a year ago, 4-4 four and four in conference play. Jimbo Fisher returns... Uh, a lot from last year's team. They are number 16 in Bill Connolly's returning production rankings, and I would imagine a lot of that starts with just the overall production from a very productive quarterback in Kellen Mond. I mean, they didn't have much of a run game at all last year, and so it was it was Mond having to go out there and uh, get it done himself. But, you know, I, you, you take another look at it, and it's a lot of excusable losses. And that's where I think the, the fun starts with Texas A&M because how um, acceptable are excusable losses? Last year's losses were to both SEC division champions, LSU and Georgia, the ACC champion in Clemson, and the Nat... Wait, okay, it was the... Excuse me. Woo! Both SEC division champions, the ACC champion, the national runner-up, Alabama, and Auburn. Like... All outside of the Auburn game, pretty much everyone that they lost to was one of the best teams in the country. They also played 19 true freshmen last year. Youth movement in full swing uh, here in year three for Fisher. We've got a couple new assistants, including his old buddy James Coley, 
checking in as a tight end coach. Offensive line and run game, as I mentioned, need to take a step forward. What is the gap between Texas A&M and third place in the SEC West? I don't think it's that big. I, I, I mean, we just talked about the Auburn. I, I, uh, clearly, you neither of you guys are super high on Auburn this year. I'm not really that high on them, although I don't, I don't, you know, not too concerned. But I think that there's very much a possibility for A&M to not only sneak up into third, depending on whether or not it can, you know, beat Auburn during the season. But I think that this is, you know, we've talked about it. This is one of my dark horses. I, I don't, I'm not predicting it to happen. But I think if you look at everything about this program. There are a lot of indications or things that you look for that say, hey, this this team could surprise a lot of people. And you know, you mentioned Kellen Mond. I don't clearly we've seen in college football that experience at quarterback is not what it once was as far as, you know, at an asset. We see plenty of freshman quarterbacks coming in and playing well from the start and sophomores and young QBs having great seasons. But I do think that in a time in the conference where you're looking at Alabama's working in a new QB, LSU is going to be working in a new QB, Auburn has Bo Nix. Um, <laughs> I'll stop there. You know, Mississippi State going to be bringing in a new offense and a new QB. Ole Miss is going to be bringing in a new offense with QBs that maybe aren't really well designed for it. Arkansas has got a whole lot of things it has to do. Just to have that guy at quarterback that you already know what you have and you could hope that he takes that senior year, that kind of step forward, that puts Texas A&M on solid footing from the start. You mentioned last year's schedule. They don't have to deal with that. Like, you know, Clemson's not on the schedule anymore. They don't have to play Georgia this year. Now, yes, they still have to finish the season with back-to-back at Alabama at LSU, and they have to go on the road for Auburn. So it's still a difficult schedule. You're in the SEC West. You cannot avoid a difficult schedule. But when you look at that, you mentioned all the young players on last year's team. Those guys are more experienced. They're also talented. Texas A&M has brought in a couple of really highly rated recruiting classes, so they've infused talent into that roster. They're getting more, you know, of a depth, a foundation to that team. I think that there is the possibility that Texas A&M could finish in second place in the SEC West this year. I think it could compete for the SEC West title. Again, I'm not predicting that's what's going to happen, but I'm saying – I think that the odds of that happening are a lot better than you would take just based on what has been the case. And also there is that whole kind of sense of, you know, being worn down the the boy who cried wolf kind of thing where people have been saying that this is a year for Texas A&M for quite a while now, where Texas A&M has long been considered the dark horse, you know, ever since, the, you know, they, they came into the SEC, Manziel Mania came. And ever since then, everybody's kind of waited for it to happen again. And it never has. I think that this year, this team, this program is better equipped to have it happen than it has been at any point in the last six, seven years when people were kind of waiting for it to happen. So if it does happen this year, I won't be that surprised by it. Yeah, when Jimbo Fisher was hired, he was hired for two reasons. One, because he can recruit, and two, because he can win at the highest level. I think he's recruited the roster. Like right now, I think they have the roster coming in that is experienced, they're, you know, they're pretty good on the line of scrimmage. They've got uh, incoming players, backups that can compete to, to beat out upperclassmen. Like they're that sort of a roster right now. So I think his roster is good enough to compete with those top of the division teams. Is 
can they now, now can they win the games? Like, can they go and like put the big boy bridges on and win some of those November games? And uh, so I think it's going to be really telling, like whether, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about the coach rankings when they come out. Yeah, we, uh, we can save that uh, before we we sort of really dive into it. But Jimbo Fisher is a fascinating one to 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 talk about, and. You know, how do you measure Jimbo Fisher if he's eight and four again this year? Um, if he's, you know, if he's if he's eleven and one or ten and two or um, gets to eleven and two, then all of a sudden I think you're you're right on pace. Uh, but if he's eight and four again, what is he? What like what did, what did you even hire? Like what is this? And so I think this is a year where he's got to earn some of that oil money, and I think that they can do it. I think that this is a roster that can do it, and they've got to. They've got continuity on the coaching staff. They've got continuity on the roster, um, and they've recruited well. So, you know, let's let's see it. I had a conversation with you a while back where I felt like we were just going back and forth, and I felt like uh, my argument was um, I don't think that Texas A&M is going to take the jump because they ha- because they haven't done it. And you said, but that doesn't mean that they can't. And I was sort of being that stubborn opposite side of it. The the fact that I have been burned or the fact that so many times that bill has been sold. And I mean, even beyond the SEC pre-Manziel mania, you were still looking at a Texas A&M program that in the Big 12 had immense resources and the desire and the drive to be great national championship winning program. And, and yet for some reason it didn't happen. But as I was digging into this season I found myself a little bit more confident that whatever that invisible ceiling is, that it might not be as certain. And maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's because everything feels like it's kind of broken. Take all your assumptions, throw them out the window. But I will say that while I'm not picking Texas A&M to be first place in the SEC West, uh, I do believe that any assumptions that Texas A&M cannot get over and be a national championship contending team, I think it's time to move on from that. Well, yeah. Though, I mean, it's a fair, the, the, the conversation that we had, like, I think you, you have to make those sort of points that like, look, until someone does it, why should, what, like, why should we let them off the hook? And so that what's, what's interesting, like, especially if the season is delayed or is pushed back and the and talking season gets extended for that much longer, this feels like one of those teams that could, you could see the, the hype start to build, and then we look up and we've all, you know, been, been hyping off each other's hype, and then we're climbing on, on over each other to try to hype it even more, and then you look up and like, you know, Texas A&M is just not ready for that yet, and so, um, this is it, it, it's time, but we'll see. I mean, Kellen Mond has to be a consistent player. Like he has to be a good quarterback every week. Every week of the big games, he has to be a good quarterback. And uh, that that alone is worth like you just sort of checking yourself a little bit on the hype. It's like, all right, like Kellen Do Mond's you yeah, do you thing. trust Cal- Kellen Mond uh, in all four quarters, not just in the fourth quarter of a game where Texas A&M is down two touchdowns to start the fourth quarter? Right. And like, I want to, and he's, I mean, he's continues to have flashes where he's the most talented quarterback on the field. 
on any field. Um, but man, just just give me just give me steady play, but give me steady play and you're in good shape. The Mississippi State Bulldogs, six and seven a year ago, three and five in conference play. Joe Moorhead ousted after the bowl game. Mike Leach hired from Washington State. Mike Leach is not the only new face, or at least um, you know the the new face is going to need to be contributing a lot in our Bill Connolly in ESPN.com's. Bill Connolly just being a friend of the show. Uh, uh, number 110 in returning production. A lot of that coming on the defensive side of the ball. The the defensive players that Barton Simmons, of course, tracked for that lovely, lovely well that was Mississippi State overs and unders. We do have Kylan Hill, the very productive running back, back in the fold. How does he fit into the Mike Leach offense, I think, is an interesting question. And for the quarterback position, no, KJ Costello comes in. It, and if you go back, there was a Stanford Washington State game where KJ Costello lit the Cougars defense up. I think it was back in 2018. So maybe that was the moment that Mike Leach was really sold on Costello. Can KJ Costello live up to uh, what I think some people are identifying as the opportunity to put himself into higher NFL draft conversations with all the reps and with all the passes that you're going to get? For Mike Leach, you're bound to be productive. If K.J. Costello can be healthy for the entire season, I think he's going to have that opportunity. Uh, Mississippi State in 2020, Mike Leach. You know, we're, we're about to talk about three coaches here in the SEC West, one of the toughest divisions in all of college football, not having a full offseason. Is Mike Leach one that you trust to be able to adapt to the unusual circumstances? I think Mike Leach is a pretty adaptive human being. Um, but the, the question here to me, and like there, there's pretty strong evidence that a fresh new quarterback can, can help you out and, and do the things in this Mike Leach offense because Gardner Minshew did it. Gardner Minshew came in the summer. Gardner Minshew balled out. Gardner Minshew was a Heisman finalist, got drafted. The rest is history. And, and KJ Costello had the same opportunity. The problem is he walks into a system that is, or a team that's learning the system too. Like he walks into, Minshew walked into ready made receivers and offensive line and everybody else. KJ Costello walks into this thing and everyone's learning this together. And they've now they have limited reps. And the air raid stuff is all about reps. I just, it's not Leach I'm worried about. It's his system I'm worried about, and it's the and it's the roster I'm worried about because I don't necessarily. I think I've said it on this show before. Like I, I'm not overly confident in Mississippi State's wide receiver group, and so, you know, a, a, a wide receiver group with limitations, uh, brand new system, a quarterback that's fresh, and it's not like KJ Costello was running the air raid at Stanford. Um, so I just there's a. I don't know. I think this. I think this is. This was had a the opportunity to be a pretty quick offensive improvements with a strong spring. I think the spring hurts this this situation a lot. Yeah, I, I think when Mississippi State goes from Dan Mullen to Joe Moorhead, part of the hope is that while they didn't run the same offense, they ran offenses that were somewhat similar to one another at least in spirit and you hope that okay we've lost our coach who's probably you know the most successful coach we've had 
in the history of the program, at least in the modern era of college football. And you wanted to try to keep that going as best you can. And obviously it didn't really work with Moorhead. So now you're changing your identity in a way because now you're bringing in Mike Leach, who is, you know, a, a lightning rod in his own right, but he's bringing in the air raid offense. And like Barton was talking about, you know, that, that it's a huge transition that you have to go through. And then you look at the amount of players that this team has to replace, not just on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball as well. You bring in KJ Costello, who's now coming into an offense that's new to him. Yes, he, you know he he's a he's got the possibility to be a very good player, and he could put up some numbers in this offense. But even if we go under the assumption that a Mike Leach team is going to have a Mike Leach offense, and even with the truncated offseason and the inability to really put things in play it's probably going to be capable of scoring points because that's what they do. My concern is if you look at Mike Leach's history, he's always had offenses that score points, but the teams of his that had success, you know, to it, like an upper level that were competing for big 12 titles or were competing in the pac 12 North. Those were the teams that had really strong defenses, at least by comparison to what he's had in a lot of other seasons. And you look at this Mississippi state team and, everything that it's got to replace on the defensive side of the ball. I just feel like the D it's kind of, you're asking for a lot to think that the Mississippi state defense is going to be able to carry this team as far as that side of the ball is and be able to play well in this division against this schedule and all season long. So I feel like you delayed it a little bit by going the Moorhead route before you got to leech. But I do think that in Starkville this year, it's going to be like a reset season. This, it's You're going to take a step back, not like a, a rebuild, reset, whatever you want to call it. I just think that if you're realistic, to, to think that this team is going to get to a bowl game or compete in the SEC West would be – it's it's a bit much. I think if you can get to a bowl game, I'm not saying it's impossible. You'd be happy with it. It's just I feel like that is the ceiling of what you can realistically hope for going into year one under Mike Leach. But so, but what is the floor? I mean, is is – Mike Leach so volatile or is the Mike Leach uh, system or approach so volatile that you got to look at it and think that going 0 and 8 in conference play or 1 and 7 in conference play is is a potential here here's what you need to worry about in my in my mind as when I look at the schedule like because we have to remember you know whenever a new coach comes in there are always going to be players that are already there who don't buy in who don't like the new coach so you have to worry about that kind of, you know, to, to use the thing that Le Leach would be familiar with, a mutiny. He likes pirates. So there's there's always going to be that kind of, you know, divide in that locker room because that divide exists in every locker room, whether the coach has been there or not. But you, you, you see it a lot more often when there's a new regime in charge. But you look at the start of this schedule. They, they've got New Mexico at NC State, Arkansas, Tulane. I, I, maybe they win that Arkansas game at home. Maybe they're 1-0 in the SEC. But then they've got a stretch of four consecutive games and four. In the, in the SEC of Texas A&M, at Alabama, at LSU, versus Auburn. Those are the four teams I think we all agree will be the four best teams in the division. Maybe we don't know the order they're going to finish in, but those would be our four choices. If Mississippi State goes into those four games and gets its butt handed to it in four consecutive games, what kind of attitude is this team going to have in November when the more winnable games against Missouri, Kentucky, you know, Alabama A&M and Ole Miss come. It could be a team by that point who is just kind of checked out and ready for the season to end. So I do think if we want to know what the floor can be, 
Yeah, I think one in seven is possible. I don't think it's likely, but I do think that we can't completely rule it out. If we're talking about fat girlfriends in October, I don't like their chances for winning Mm -hmm. those games in November. Yeah. Looking like dead body bags out there. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very high chance that we get uh, at least one uh, press conference like that, which I'm not saying is cute and lovable and soundbite worthy, but instead... Uh, quite a reflection of how the coach feels about his players. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss was four and eight last year, two and six in conference play. Matt Luke is out, as we mentioned in the SEC East episode. He is with our beloved Georgia Bulldogs as the new offensive line coach. Lane Kiffin is your new Ole Miss head coach. He's bringing in Jeff Lebby as the offensive coordinator from UCF. And offensively, I don't think that we're going to have the same Rich Rod offense. But we do have some interesting pieces. You get both Matt Corral and John Rice Plumlee back at quarterback. Not sure exactly how that shakes out from the you know, outlook of what to expect from the Rebels. But I do know that you've got a really, really talented running back there with Jerrion Ely. Averaged nearly seven yards per carry as a freshman. Defensively, I do think that we've got a, a good amount of turnover. But for this Ole Miss Rebels team, Lane Kiffin is going to generate a lot of the headlines. But unlike the way it was at FAU where the team was so much more talented than a lot of the other standard issue conference USA teams, that talent advantage is, is gone, uh, especially when you compare it to the rest of the SEC West. So if Ole Miss won four, won four games in 2019, do you believe that Lane Kiffin as a coach, whether it's an offensive coach, whether it's a mindset coach, game planning coach, do you think that Lane Kiffin is going to be worth an increase in your expectation on the win total for the Rebels in 2020? It's tricky. Yeah. I mean, it's because it. the question to me, it's like, you know, John Reese, Bumley, Matt Corral, which, which one is the better fit for Lane? I feel like based on what we saw, it's probably Corral, correct? As a passer, as opposed yeah. to just doing the... Uh, I would assume so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, I think he has an edge, but I do think that at time, you know, and he was a highly rated recruit, and he was, you know, there was a lot of buzz around him, and then he lost, you know, he got hurt and lost the job to Plumlee, and Plumlee kind of electrified it in that kind of, like you said, Chip, that Rich Rod read option kind of stuff. But I just, it's a fascinating situation for me, what Ole Miss, trying to figure out what it's going to be in 2020, because if if things go right, you know, this is a team that could probably, you know, it's probably the ceiling is fifth place in the division, but a bowl game is within reach. It's just my concern besides just Lane is that if you look at the recruiting during Hugh Freeze's heyday, Ole Miss was recruiting really, really well. And while its classes overall are still, you know, in the top 35 nationally, when you compare it to the SEC, like it's 2018 class ranked 10th in the conference, 2019 it was ninth, the 2020 class this year was 12th. You mentioned that talent advantage he had at FAU over everybody else in the USA. And it's it's not just that that advantage is gone. It's He's mostly at a disadvantage now. So that's what's going to be fascinating for me in Lane's first year. And if you look, you know, the 2021 class isn't off to a t- totally quick start. But then again, let's we should you don't want to put too much onto it considering our current situation and the fact that it's early May. But I just I don't know. I. I Ole Miss is a very difficult team for me to get a read on and like kind of like with Mississippi State, except early in the year, there's that three week stretch where they're going Auburn at LSU and then Alabama and then they get Vandy and then they get Florida. 
So there, there's a really tough stretch in the middle of this schedule that could have an impact on the back half of the schedule. So it's there's a, there's a wide range of outcomes here is what I'm trying to say, I guess, in a lot of words. I am. Uh, I'm glad that Lane Kiffin is at Ole Miss. Uh, I think he is. He embodies the Ole Miss experience in a lot of ways. I I think he's he was good. He was the right hire. Um, and yet, I am equally saddened that we don't get to see another year of Rich Rod's offense with this personnel. Yes, mm-hmm. because John Rice Plumley, a quarterback, fits it like a glove. They've got Jerry Ely and Snoop Connor at running back. They've got another running back coming in in the 2020 class named Henry Parrish that is a stud. Kentrell Bullock, another running back out of Mississippi that's really good. Like They've got so many really good ball carriers out of the backfield. It just would have been fun to see how many different ways those guys could touch the football and what they could do. Um, so... But you know that said, look, Lane Kiffin is—he's a innovative, offensive guy, and he's got Jeff Levy, the from the Art Briles coaching tree and kind of family tree uh, as a—he's the I guess Briles' son-in-law, I think too. Um, so it's it's that I wanted to see the spring. I really wanted to see the spring. I was like ex- as excited to see Ole Miss in the spring as anywhere because it would have given us a hint on which direction they were going to go. Um, we're not seeing it. I think, I think you know Kenny Yaboa is going to be another really co- quality grad uh, graduate transfer from Temple that's going to give Lane Kiffin his his Harrison Bryant maybe at tight ends, uh, which is something that Ole Miss hadn't had in a couple years. Uh, even with Dawson Knox, Phil Longo didn't really use that position a whole lot, so. There's a lot of encouraging things about the offense in particular. Um, I just don't – it's hard to really put my finger on what it's going to look like at the end. And finally, the bottom of the SEC West, Arkansas Razorbacks, 2-10 and 10 last year, 0-8 in conference play. Uh, out with Chad Morris after just a couple years, in with Sam Izzer Pittman. I was looking. I've all I've got here in my audio file thing is him talking about how he took his shoes off. Do we want to get that in there? <laughs> Hell yeah, we do. All right. I was like, wait a second. Don't we? Don't we have a little yes sir somewhere? Don't we? Pittman shoes off. I want to tell you something. You guys were really good to me when I was here last time. You let me take my shoes off when I wanted to. <laughs> Sometimes I'd take my socks off too, but y'all didn't seem to mind. He was good to me. I understand you're going to report like you need to report. I understand that too. But I'm going to go to work. I I feel like we need to get him to say it's Wendy and Laramie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so Arkansas 0-8 last year. Look, we're talking about a program that has lost 19 straight SEC games. They haven't beaten a Power 5 non-conference opponent since 2016. I mean, we weren't even chalking up like Mountain West non-cons as wins for Arkansas. There's a long way to go. You know, we talk about these teams at 5, 6, and 7 in last year's standings, all getting new head coaches. If I mean, correct me if you all feel differently, but when it comes to overall roster talent, when it comes to infrastructure, it just seems that Arkansas really is – a few levels away from being able to 
sneak up, not just to that fifth place spot, but maybe even flirt with fourth or third, you know, immediately. It's just going to be an uphill battle. They do have some experience at quarterback as Felipe Franks arrives as the new the new QB. Uh, you got a thousand yard rusher, Rakeem Boyd back, but as I'm as I'm looking defensively, offensively, not a whole lot of names that are going to jump out and grab your attention. So, you know, I, I mentioned what is the the floor for a Mississippi State uh, under Mike Leach, and I I think that you know for Arkansas, what is the ceiling? Like, is a bowl game a realistic possibility for the Razorbacks in 2020 in year one of Sam Pittman with? You know, Sam Pittman having his first opportunity as a head coach and no spring practice. It just seems like if there's one team in the SEC where there's a lot of things that are stacked against you, the 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 Razorbacks sure seem to be it. Okay, hold on. All right, wait, wait. wait. Are you are you bringing some positivity to this or negativity, Tom? Both. Okay. All right. Well, then I'm gonna bring. Let me bring some positivity to the conversation. Okay. You can check me. Okay. All right. I think now maybe if I called an Arkansas coach up and I was like, tell me about your roster, there might be some real pockets of concern, some real holes, and they've got a long way to go. Um, but you say like it's hard to find like where to be optimistic. I don't know if you said that specifically, but you, you said something along those lines. I'm just – Arkansas on offense has Rakeem Boyd, who's – one of the better running backs in all of college football, I would Ooh, imagine. Okay. I mean, got, like like you would put him in the same handful of backs as Chuba Hubbard and Travis Etienne? No, uh, no, he's a clear tier below those, but I'm just saying, like, if you're making a list, I mean, I made a list of the top 25 backs in college football, and he was on there. Okay. Um, I don't know, I can't remember where he was on there, but he was on there. Uh, you've got Trey Knox and Traylon Burks, who were really promising true freshmen last year that are going to be sophomores this year. You've got Felipe Franks coming in as a grad transfer quarterback. Make that what you will. Make of that what you will. I don't really know what to make of that myself, but it's he's talented. He's played in a lot of big games. He should be better than the Nick Starkle and uh, who was the other guy they had from SMU? Um, ben Hicks. Oh, Ben Hicks, whoever they were trotting out there last year, I, I would think Felipe Franks will be better then. Defensively, they've got some some. I think they've got some decent players now. Again, like does does do I have a grasp on what the where the holes are? Like where how much those good players canvas the defense, or, or whether they're just like a couple individual players that I think have a chance. I, I you know maybe I don't have a good read on that. I just wonder if this is a more if this opportunity has more potential early on than we're giving it credit for. Thanks in part to Chad Morris, the job Chad Morris did in recruiting. So Sam Pittman may be in for a long year this year and probably is. He's in the SEC West. But I I just kind of wonder if there's some opportunity to surprise people with the way they are with, with with their with how competitive they can be. I don't think this team's getting to a bowl game. I think that's unreasonable, not impossible, but that'd be an unreasonable expectation though if you're an Arkansas fan and that's the way you want to feel before the season. I'm not going to tell you how you know how, how to be excited about your team or not. I just 
you mentioned Chip the 19 game conference losing streak, and that's that's a big headliney kind of deal. But I don't even think that tells the whole story because it's not like that losing streak started after a win streak. This is a team that won a game after another pretty decent sized losing streak in the SEC. In the last three seasons, they are one in 23 ah. against SEC opponents. That's not good, <laughs> and. So it's like when you see that to sit here and think that, okay, they're going to win enough SEC games to get to a bowl game. You're you're really, really stretching the possibilities. But to go along with the positive stuff, at times the last few years, when you would watch Arkansas play and you saw Chad Morris on the sideline during a game, and granted, this could have been because of the results of those games. But how many times did you really see Chad Morris on the sideline and feel confident? Based on his body language and what his facial expressions were showing you, are are you suggesting that Chad Morris, as a face of the program, f- might not be the fearless leader that even inspires confidence in his own locker room? Yeah, I, that yes, I'd say it's not nothing to do with his coaching acumen. It's just when I would see him, it's like you could read it on his face that he was like. Oh, crap. You know what I mean? And if your players see that, that's not going to, you know, instill a ton of confidence in them. Whereas I look at Sam Pittman and I feel like that's the guy who has the kind of personality and energy that you need to get through something of the magnitude that he's about to try to go, you know, to undertake. And this is, you know, it's I have no idea if Sam Pittman is going to work out at Arkansas, but it reminds me in a sense Keep the context here. When Ed Orgeron took over at LSU, nobody thought Ed Orgeron was the kind of guy who, you know, was was a top-notch X's and O's great kind of coach. But what he was is he was, you know, a leader. He was somebody who believed. He was somebody who instilled confidence in his team. And through that and through his ability to make decisions, he was able to take LSU to where it went to last year. Now, granted, he started at a much, much higher part of the mountain and Sam Pittman is starting at Arkansas. But there is that sense with Pittman that he's the kind of guy when your ship is going through a storm, he's not a bad guy to be the captain because he's a guy you can look to and you can at least feel confident that he 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 believes he can get you through it. I don't think Chad Morris believed he could get Arkansas through it. And I think that kind of change alone could have a positive impact in the locker room by itself enough to where a team like Barton mentioned some of the talented players on this roster it's a team that should be I'm expecting it to be more competent in SEC play if not more successful so hogsports.com headline for Tuesday CBS sports expert Tom Fernelli says Sam Pittman is the next coach o yes yes sir <laughs> yes sir Ah, uh, good stuff. Uh, anything else on the Hogs? I mean, I'm I'm down on him. I, I would love to be proven wrong because I like Sam Pittman as a as a coach. I mean, we're talking about the man who, as we have seen in court documents, uh, leapt at the opportunity to pick up Cade Mays' dad's finger and get it on ice. <laughs> um. Yeah. Any, anything else on the Hogs? I mean, you're hoping for four wins overall, and you hope one of them is an SEC win. Sounds it's going to be – the other thing with that is like it's – he comes from a pro-style B 
big bodied offensive line. Let's run it down your throat deal. And he hired Kendall Browse as his offensive coordinator. I'm just going to be, it's just going to be fun to see how that, how that meshes, what it looks like, what they, what they ball it up and spit out. Um, maybe it'll be really good. Maybe, maybe it won't work. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see it. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernella. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Coming up for our next spring gleaning episode, we'll be looking at Notre Dame and the select few, the the ones who, who made, the, uh, made the cut out of the top group of five teams, uh, all that and more. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you on NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal.